0: You're listening to the Jewish Living Podcast. I'm Rabbi Nachum Welcome, everyone, to our next edition of Jewish Living. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about the halacha, about the laws of mozi, the halachas of bread, and the laws of mizonot, of grain products. We've talked about bread Again, the definition from a Jewish perspective, from halacha, of bread is flour, water, baked equals bread. Flour, water, baked. So dough that's baked. We talked about that's hamotzi. That's bread. It's hamotzi. We've talked about there are there are grain products which aren't bread. They're gonna be Mizonos. The, brachi, the the special priority we recite on them is Boremine Mizonot. We've talked about how does something become a Mizonos. There are kind of really two ways. There is, if it's flour and water, but not but not baked, let's say it's boiled, for example. We talked about so like pasta. Pasta is never considered bread in any situation in all times. Um oatmeal would be another example. It's not baked, it's oat. Maybe we'll call it flour. Maybe we won't. It's oat, and it's it's boiled basically. It's boiled, it's not baked. So um, again, just so we're clear in Judaism in in halacha, when we talk about baked, we mean in typically. We, we talked about this a little bit last week. It means in an oven. It means there's no medium of water. It's in a, an oven. Um, cooked is usually like in a in a liquid. Question. Cheerios. Yes. I, so I worked at TBS at the preschool there for seven years, and we would sing that note for Cheerios, but that is a flour and a water and it's baked. Right, so right, the question is Cheerios is flour, water, and it's baked. So, and that's it. So why is Cheerios not bread? So if you recall, what we talked about, there's flour, water, baked, bread. Flour, water, not baked, Mizono. Oh, then we said that there's a second category of Mizon of grain products. We called it kisnin bread. Kisnin, we said we're not defining that word because it's open to, there are three things, not or, it's 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 not and, it's or. Any one of these three things puts you in kisnin bread. So we said if it's flour, water, other significant ingredients mixed in the dough and then baked, it's now kisnin bread and it's mizonos. That we said, a good example would be cake. Flour, water, sugar, vanilla. I just had some brownies on my way over here. It was so good. And it's baked. But the answer is because there is a significant amount of other ingredients. It gets downgraded. And it's a mizonos, but it's kisnin bread, which we'll see what, right? If you recall what we said, if kisnin bread, it's mizonos. However, if you eat enough of it that someone in your like demographic would treat that as a meal, you need a wash and and treat it as bread. So if you have six bowls of Cheerios, you need a wash and bench. If you shalom everyone, shalom everyone, shalom everyone. If you just have a little bit of Cheerios or a bowl or two, that's okay. That was one of the ways that you're in in bread. Make yourselves cozy. There was the second way is um, so it's flat is if it's. Flour, water. Well, so curios are isn't in that category. That would be like cake. Flour, water, baked, but then it's brittle. The like curios, crackers, pretzels. So again, it gets downgraded. It's now a note. Again, if you eat a lot of it you have to you have to treat it as bread but that would be the second category and then the third category is if it's flour water kneaded into dough but before you bake it you put other things on top of the dough or inside of the already made dough we said the classic example we said was pizza pizza it's really just flour water but because you have sauce cheese and whatever else that you're planning on putting on your pizza and it's baked it gets downgraded to Kisnin bread, which means if you have one slice of pizza, it's a Mizonos, it's Mizono. If you have a couple of slices of pizza, you're gonna need to treat it as bread. How much? We pointed out, this is the age old debate. It really is going to depend someone in your demographic. If you're a 20 year old male, it's gonna be a whole lot more than if you're a 97 year old, whatever, female. It's gonna be a whole lot less. So it's really it's, it's it's a hard question to answer. I've always gone with pizza. Usually they always say the word on the street. You have three slices of pizza. That's that's already a, like a meal. So for three slices of pizza, two is always borderline. One, I would never. I would always treat it as a Mizonos. That's so that was the kisnin bread. We spoke yet last week. So so far so good. So that's the basic ideas. We spoke last week. We talked about another very important uh kind of category within grain products and that was bread that became denatured at least halakhically denatured we talked about just a quick review if you take bread and you chop it into so bread it's flour water baked and it's not brittle it's it's real bread good old-fashioned white bread challah no questions asked it's bread and now I take that bread and I do two things to it. I chop it up so that not a single piece is bigger than a kezaias. How big is a kezaias? I don't know. Two to three ounces, something like that. But they're small pieces. And you need to do both of these things. And you then boil it in some kind of liquid. So then the bread gets downgraded into mizonos. Mm. Not only is it downgraded into Mazonos, it's the type of downgrade you can eat as much as you want of it. It stays downgraded. So I have a question. Kyle has a question. So have you been to the kosher waffle truck? No, but I hear all about it. Pretty good. Okay. Um, but he handed me a piece of like pizza and yep. like fried yep. and oil. Yeah, so we go, so is that downgraded or is that still bread? That is probably downgraded. If it's deep fried, not probably, it is downgraded. That's a mizonos. Don't, don't make it. We talked about croutons. Mm. A lot of salad croutons, a lot of soup croutons. What, the, the question is, Rabbi, I always get, Rabbi, what bracha do you make on croutons? The answer is really going to be, it depends on how they make it. If it's like a pita that's been cut into a small piece. They're usually small enough. You're eating it as a crouton. But if it's baked, it's still bread. If it's deep fried, it's a Mizonos. So you really have to, and this is what I do. I'll ask, go to the back, how did you make it? It's, it's kind of a, a funny thing to do, but I'll do that. If those, those who know, know, and you have a crouton, you really have to figure out how it was made. We talked about, so that's baking, it's not doesn't help. Deep fried or boiled, it downgrades. We said, what about if it's like kind of pan fried? So if you we talk about if you just put a little bit of Pam onto a skillet, so that it doesn't so that whatever it is that you're cooking on the stove doesn't burn. That's like baking because it's not really cooked in a liquid medium. There's just a little bit of Pam on there so it doesn't burn. Like we just no no. We, Like a lot of times I'll do it for bagels. I didn't do it tonight. Tonight we use the toaster. It's actually the best way to make a bagel. You ever toast a bagel? Don't use a toaster. You put it on, you actually toast a bagel on a stovetop. It is so much better. I don't know why. It's so good. But that's neither here nor there. That's our math recipe. That's for for a different class. But what if you actually have a little bit of oil? It's not just it, but it's so it's like halfway in the oil. It's not If the Food that you put in, the bread, is completely submerged in liquid. That's called cooking. That's that's boiling. If it's only partially, so we saw the Mishnah Buruh says it's a little bit of a dispute. It's really not so simple. His suggestion is because it's a real dispute amongst the, the earlier authorities, best bet is something like that. You should only eat besochasuda. suda. You should only eat it after you've had proper bread. You washed, you, you, you ate the mozi on the bet, on the bread, you made the mozi on the bread. Now you should eat that. We said a classic example, not such a classic example, a real potential example that does come up. Again, I'm not a chef here, would be potentially French toast. In What's that? In what, what, put in, what, in I, that, that's I, it's really kind of absorbed into the bread. So, but it's not like totally submerged in like a liquid. So if you just put a pan, like, if you just put a little bit of Pam onto your skillet when you make your French toast, it's still hamotzi. If you put in a significant amount of oil so that it's like really boiling, you know, and splattering and stuff like that, you might have a problem. You might. Now, one thing you could do is just make sure each piece is bigger than a kezaias, which usually you will do. That's been my experience. Once you have like mini mint French toast, so you're not going to have a problem. But that would be the story. And then we What's French toast bites? That actually sounds really good. Yeah, <laughs> and by the way, we pointed right little mini French toast bites, and we pointed out in theory. I don't know if this will work, but if you want to make French toast that is definitely not bread, take your what you do is take little mini French toast bites, put it into boiling water for thirty seconds. It and now again, and I can't tell you. I'm assuming that'll destroy your bread, but if it doesn't. If you then take those little pieces of bread out of that boiling water, that bread is now mazonos according to all opinions. What's that? It's got to be garbage. Be garbage. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's not going to work. So, but, but just to throw that out there, question before we go on. Sure. Take the French toast Now you're cutting it into small little pieces.
1: Afterwards.
0: Yeah. I don't think, that's a great question. I don't think that works. <laughs> I don't, know. other words, do you have to cut the, Pieces into bread of bread into small pieces before it's boiled. I think the answer is yes. I think so. I'm pretty pretty sure. Very good question. So because when you eat any type of bread, you're not eating it, it the of It's a very good point. Yeah, but you're not going to eat a because That's a very good point. Um, I'm, I'm gonna. That's a very good point. I like that. So I'm gonna assume that's the answer, but I'll double check. Okay, so that's our story with bread, with grain products, and terrific. What I wanted to cover for the rest of tonight, after we did that review, is I wanted to talk about, it's really technically shouldn't be part of this curriculum, which we're doing the laws of brachas of, of berchos hanenen, which we talked about, if you remember, on class one, the brachas that we recite <clears throat> over food, which are brachas, it's called a, it's a category of prayer called berchos hanenen. Just as our view to class number one, the t- Talmud tells us it's prohibited to benefit from this world, Without reciting a bracha, without really saying your plea, it's a please and thank you. Without saying please, you know, thank you for the food, and now you eat it. So our sages instituted brachas for any type of benefit that we derive from. For most types of benefit that we derive from 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 this world, and there are a couple of different categories. There are special prayers that you recite for fragrance. We've talked about. There are a couple of other brachas that might be considered brachas um, brachas of driving benefit. But we're this semester, as it were, we were focusing specifically on brachas on food. But today, the rest of today, we're going to do a little bit of an exception, but it's so closely connected, we're going to cover it anyway. And that is, we should hopefully most are familiar, before you eat bread, what do you do? You wash your hands. And not only do you wash your hands, you say a bracha too. So I want to talk about that for a second. Why do we do that? How do we do that? And when do we do that? Okay. So first of all, why, or I guess, you know, why? We'll do why, when, and then what? The reason to understand why we wash our bread, wash our hands for bread. I want to give a hakdama, an introduction that's, it's really necessary for every, like really should start with the following introduction for every class on Jewish living, but for the laws of brachas on food, it's it's not as necessary, but I think for something like washing our hands, it's very, very important because you'll see. I was driving, when was I? This morning. This morning, I got up at 5.03. Well, not really. I dove in, well, that's, I'll tell you what happened. Okay, this is just Rabbi Math's personal life. Yeah, so we haven't, if anyone is interested, we, we have the early, our regular prayers, Shacharis is at 7.30 or 7.25 now. Um, we have an early bird minion, which meets at six o'clock, but because we have the extra prayers before you know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, so we start at 5.45. So anyway, you're getting up with something I'm like, you know what? Today was a fast day. Many had a tradition to fast today. So I was planning on going to the 730. I'm like, I don't need to go to the early one. Like, whatever. I'm fasting anyway. But of course, my body naturally, I wake up at what time? 504. Like the fast, I think started at 509. I ran downstairs. I made the quickest cup of coffee I ever made. I like chugged the whole thing. It's boiling hot. It burned my gizzard, you know, the whole thing. And then once I'm up, I'm up. So I drove to, I drove to the, here, to the Colel. It's five thirty-five in the morning. I'm at the intersection right there, Hill Point Hill Center. There is not a soul out. I mean, nobody. I mean, you can see, not a car. Pitch black, and of course, the stupid light is all right. I admit, it like there's there's an evil demon that lives in that light. That when it sees you coming, it it stays green, green till literally the last possible second, and turns red. Just to get you, you know, just to make sure you start off your day like frustrated and angry at sure. the world. And I'm sitting there. I remember it was literally this morning, I'm sitting there at the red light. I'm thinking, why am I sitting at this traffic light? There is, I'm seeing, look, I can see, I can see probably a, quarter, a third of a mile behind me, a quarter of a mile up the road, half a mile either direction. I see literally, there's not a car anywhere. Should I just go through this, this light? I need to make a left turn. Mm-hmm. Le- I didn't. That's the end of the story. I didn't go through that because I rabbi Meth, is civically responsible. Let's say I went through that red light. All right. I, I made let's say I made I'm like, this is idiotic. I'm tired. I just want to get to the COLO and Davin. I went through the red light. And let's say I go through that red light, and sure enough, what happens? What do I see in my rearview mirror? Lights and sirens. Cop pulls me over. I, ma- imagine I go over to the cop and I say, officer, welcome everyone. I say, officer, it's five thirty-six in the morning. It's pitch black. There's not a car on the m- within three square miles. There isn't anyone who's awake. I can go through this light. What's the big deal? Am I going to get off with an excuse like that? When let's say, I say I'm the best driver on earth. Let's say I was. Let's say I was. Is that a good argument? And the answer is, the answer is this is an this is this is a very deep idea, but it's in a certain sense one of the most fundamental ideas, particularly in Halacha. And that is any legislative system, we always make a differentiation between motivation and mechanism. I'm gonna use those two code words again. Motivation, mechanism. Why do you get a a, uh, a ticket for going through a red light? What's the motivation? Why a legislative system with all of our cynicism of how it's all broken? Fine, but what's the motivation? Why there's a legislative system that says if you go through a red light, you have to pay a ticket. There's a fine. The reason is is because there, the light serves a purpose. Purpose. It helps. It's actually a safety feature. It keeps the intersection safe. You know, it's the best system for it. And if people just use their own judgment when and where they want to obey traffic rules, society will fall apart. The motivation is to keep the intersection safe. That's the motivation. The mechanism is you go through an intersection. When it's red, you're going to get a ticket. But here's the clincher. Motivation and mechanism oftentimes don't overlap. We might be motivated, we're gonna put a traffic system here, a, pa- a traffic light here, we're motivated so that it's a safe intersection. Now at 5.32 in the morning, it's not necessary, but guess what? The mechanism of how you operate a traffic light is such that for whatever reason, it just it's on 24 seven. And the mechanism additionally for enforcement is the law is always binding, 24 seven. And the mechanism additionally is if you break that law, Even when it's totally safe to go through, nonetheless, you're going to get a fine. And that's how it should be. It's not a mistake. That's how societies need to function. There's motivation for a law. There's the mechanism of how we implement it. And we understand the mechanism is not always going to be totally in line with the motivation. It's just because they're really focused on two different things. The motivation is we want to keep the intersection safe. The mechanism is realizing you can't just say everyone be safe. You have to implement a policy and a procedure. The policy and procedure, by definition, is going to have rules that exist even in scenarios when the motivation isn't there. That is a very profound idea, but it's it's so fundamental in your civics class, your AP, U.S. government class, and really for understanding what we're about to do. It's really in any level. Of a level. Does that make sense? I don't have any questions on that. That is so fundamental. We, if, if like, that's it's really the system of not just halacha, it's any legislative system has, has to have that bifurcation of motivation and mechanism. And when you don't follow motivation mechanism, right? That's really where you have corruption, right? You can go through that red light. I can't, right? That, that's, we all feel that that's not fair. Like if we get it, we get it, you know, that's the system. Okay, with that brilliant introduction, let's talk about Netilatya diet. Our sages instituted before eating bread and potentially other foods, which we'll see in a moment, before eating bread, you have to wash your hands in a very specific way, using a cup, using washing your hands. We're going to go through how you do it in a moment. But you have to wash your hands before you eat bread. It's a mitzvah. It's actually an independent mitzvah to wash your hands before bread. Is that one of the 613 mitzvahs in the Torah? No. This is one. It's actually there are a couple of rabbinic mitzvahs. It is a rabbinic mitzvah to the point where we actually recite a bracha on this mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to wash your hands before you eat. And just like yesterday, we heard the shofar, you make a bracha a special prayer before doing the mitzvah, which is not, this is a different category of bracha, right? We talked about brachas on there are brachas on deriving benefit from the world. This is a different category of bracha. This is a bracha, a prayer that our sages instituted before you do a mitzvah. Before certain mitzvahs, they didn't institute it for all, but before certain mitzvahs, you recite a special bracha. What's interesting and unique about Netila Yadayim is that it's actually a rabbinic mitzvah. But you can actually even ask the question, look at the text of the prayer, it says, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Blessed are you Hashem, God, King of the Universe, Asher Kedushanu, that you sanctified us, Vitzivanu, and you commanded us, Al natilat Yadayim, let's call it Yadayim, meaning washing of the hands. One can ask on the text of that blessing, it's not really true, where did God command us to wash our hands? He did not. It's not in the Torah. The answer is, it's pointed out by, by many, many sources, is because we have a requirement to listen to mitzvahs de rabbana, mitzvahs which were enacted during times of the Sanhedrin and earlier, it then actually by extension becomes, take almost takes the force of a Torah mitzvah. We have a responsibility to listen to those who came to our Sinai the use series in the past. We have a responsibility to listen to, the, to the enactments and legislation of the sages during the times of the Talmud and earlier when you had the Sanhedrin that was actually standing. So that's why they instituted the prayer and that's why the prayer makes sense. Terrific. Why do we wash our hands for bread? There are two reasons. There are actually probably multiple reasons, but again, and this is where I wanna flag. These are two motivations. These two motivations are not the mechanism of when and how we wash our hands. They're the loose, general motivation for why this mitzvah exists. The mitzvah, ultimately the rules and the structure of it is going to be independent of the motivation. Everyone see what I just did there? Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Motivation number one. The hiskadashem says the the verse. The Yisem kidoshem. you shall be holy and you'll be holy. And our sages learn from there, you should have a certain element of nikios and tahara, cleanliness and purity before eating, you know, before eating something like bread. Bread is always considered, v'lechem <speaking in Hebrew> sud, bread is always considered the staple of food. So our sages is a way of recognizing, you know, we don't take food for granted. We see sanctity and holiness Right, This is where Judaism, I guess, differs than many, if not most religions, particularly Christianity. We see sanctity and holiness in the mundane. We see kedusha, holiness, when we eat bread, when we eat our meals. We're going to wash our hands, so we should be in a state of cleanliness. And of certain form of purity, our sages said, wash your hands. That's the easy reason. The not so easy reason has to do with Tumma and Tahara. What's Tuma and Tahara? Tuma and Tahara, you, you might be familiar with. It can literally take us several lifetimes to really get into the details of it. But back in the good old days, and please God, speedily in our days, please God, when the temple is rebuilt and, and Mashiach comes, speedily in our days, and we're going to have to get back to getting used to this kind of stuff. There is a concept called Tuma and Tahara. Tuma and Tahara loosely translates into pu- ritual purity and ritual impurity. There is no rationale. Not that it's Ill, like illogical, but to, as the Rambam tells us, the laws of tuma and tahara, purity and impurity, he calls it Dovar shein hamach shein Secha machras. He says it's something that, like intellectually, like we can work with it. We can follow all the parameters, and indeed, there are several sections in the Talmud and in the codes of law, and you can literally write a PhD on the laws of Tom and Tahara and the purity and impurity. But ultimately, the foundation of these laws, they don't really, it's not like something that you would come up with on your own. They don't really make sense. Uh, th- that's a strong word. They don't follow a, a, a logical pattern. Obviously, there's a rationale toward it, towards it. It's, it's God's rationale. We don't fully understand it, but we observe it. Nowadays, it's not so relevant. It was much, much, much more relevant during biblical times. When the Bees was around and you had to deal with kudshin, there were certain types of food which were actually ritually holy, particularly, most notably, it would be truma. That particular, you know, again, we live, it's, it's, it's such an amazing thing. You know, we live in such a different and unique time. It's so important to understand this. We live in such an absurdly unique time. And I'm not saying like the last 500 years. I'm talking about like the last 60 years, like 50 years. I was just talking to my my, my father and my father-in-law. We we met, we got together over the summer. I remember he was telling me, and I'm, I'm sure some of our older friends here might even remember. He said, you remember growing up in New York? You go to a store you got lettuce and maybe tomatoes, but you couldn't get vegetables that were out of season. It, what, is, am I right? You couldn't get vegetables, it didn't exist. It just wasn't, you know, you waited. If you wanted to wait, to get your cucumber, you had to wait for the summer or whatever it was. You know, nowadays we like, where does food from come from? Comes from Smith's, right? That's, 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 like, that's like even in our own lifetimes, this is a new innovation that you can get any type of food whenever you want. That's brand new. You go back one and a half generations, the world was, right now, I think of something like less than 4% of the United States of America lives in agrarian profession. You go back 60 years, I'm sure the number was 30%. You go back 100 years, I'm sure it was over 60%. I'm sure. I know what the data is. I'm sure. We live in a non-agrarian society, and that's good. That helps actually advance society. Baruch Hashem. We should be grateful and appreciative. But we have to put our minds that for the 99.8% of humankind, people lived in an agrarian society. People were always dealing with crops. During the times of the Bay Sanhedrin, during the times of the temple, there was something called truma. You would have to give a portion of your wheat would be given to the Kohen and that truma had to be eaten and used in in real sanctity which means it couldn't get in contact with the dead, or couldn't be in contact with someone who had been in contact with the dead. It couldn't be in contact with someone who'd been in contact with someone who'd been in contact with someone. There was a whole system of Tum and Tahara, of ritual purity and impurity. It was really relevant. Was not really relevant for if you wanted to, you know, go to Smith's and buy your own apple or wheat, that's fine, but if you were a Kohen, if you were a Kohen, most of the food that you ate was probably truma or hectic, sanctified food of some, for- of some form, and it had to be eaten in real ritual purity. Our sages instituted that a Kohen had to wash his hands every time he ate bread to make sure that in case it was truma, he'd be eating it, there would be no problems, of it would help solve certain Issues of Tummah and Taharab, purity and impurity. Terrific. Sure. Our sages instituted, even if a Kohen isn't eating truma, isn't eating Koda, sanctified food, he still had to wash his hands. Why? Just in case. you don't want him to get, again, motivation mechanism. Our sages further instituted that even if you're not a Kohen, you're just a regular old guy like me. I'm not a Kohen. I'm not a priest. I'm not allowed to eat truma. You still have to wash your hands. Why? Because we wanted to make sure this is societally how people operate, which actually makes very sense. This is a lot of sense. It's called Xera. What we do is we don't want to, if we want inst- to make sure that there's a certain societal standard, it can be very hard. You wash your hands, you're OK. Especially because they felt this is a real, real issue. So they instituted, everyone had to wash their hands. That's great, but we don't live during biblical times. We don't have a base hamikdash. Please God, we don't have a base hamikdash today. We might have one tomorrow, and then what's going to happen? We're really going to need to wash our hands. And it's really, I almost, I actually see a tremendous beauty in it. Every time you wash your hands for bread, it's a silent prayer that I hope and I believe, Imam in Bemuna Shalema, there is a destiny to humanity. And please God, B'meharav yamenu you know, God will rebuild the base of and these laws will be very, very relevant and germane. And the instant the xera stuck, and not the ger- it st- it's not by mistake, it is still in full force because hopefully the base will be rebuilt. Those are the two reasons good, no good, terrific. It's not okay, so that's the why. What anytime you eat bread, you have to wash, even if you eat just a crumb. Do I need a wash? Possibly not. The best bet is you should still wash. However, if you're eating less than a kebeo, which is actually probably a significant amount of food, it's, excuse me, pardon me, it's roughly about, let's say, let's say, the size of a nice thick piece of challah bread. Or let's say, you know, let's say if you're eating like white bread, you know, that maybe, like the maybe let's say two slices of white bread. That's like... Like a kabea again, sort of? Ballpark, okay. ballparking it. So it's only if you're eating a kibbeh and eggs volume. Now again, it's, it does not look like a lot bigger than an egg. So you have to squish it. So that's why it would be an egg. Okay, it's hard to exactly know what the numbers are, but only on a kabea or more do you say the bracha as well. Did you follow that? Anytime you have any bread, you have, any bread you have to wash. Anytime, bottom line, that's the rule. But you only will say the bracha. If it's if it's a kabeo worth, which is about two small slices of bread, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay. So keep that in mind. If you're just having a little bit of bread, you should wash. Don't make a bracha. I'm getting a dirty look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's unusual, but that, that is the halacha. Double check it, but it's you'll. See. Done. You should, it's automatically done to wash, and that's probably. I always say the bracha it's probably because it comes up like 97% of the time that you're washing, you're probably going to have enough. If you're just having a little, little piece of challah, so you shouldn't want, you shouldn't make the bracha. Isn't that remarkable? That's the real... I know, especially guy like me, I have a piece of challah. Oh, honey, I'm just going to have that one small piece of really temptingly delicious challah. I got the apple challah, holy moly. Who had... No, someone, who had... Josh Tilly, who's over? Do you have you have the apple challah? It was good. It was good. did it live up to the it lived. Up, oh, you about? It lived up to the hype? It was good. Okay, we have to bring in next. Okay, we're gonna have to bring in. I can't can't keep on talking about the apple challah, and then everyone's like, and it's so good, but you guys can't have. It. So so that's the story with with washing. Now, it's not just bread. Let's see how good everyone's memory is. There's another time on the Jewish calendar where we wash our hands for food. But it's not bread. Two points. Passover Passover for? Matzah is kind of bread, but you're getting there. You're right there. Say it loud. Washing Pesach. Washing Pesach for bread, but... So if you remember, in the beginning of the Seder, you're right there. No, you're right there. At the beginning of the Seder, we wash our hands for, because it has a name for it, the Karpas. Do you remember the karpas? It's one of the first things in the beginning of the seder. You, I I you got it. No, but you nailed it. You're right. Why do we do that? Why do we wash our hands for karpas? And of course, the answer. So the children were at will ask. That's why, kids I like to answer everything we do at the seder. But it's true. But it's it's really not true. The reason why we wash our hands at Carpas at the beginning of the Passover seder is because what do we do? What's the next thing after we wash our hands? You take. Some kind of vegetable, and you dip it in salt. the salt water. What vegetable do you use? Everyone has a different t- tradition. Parsley. You use parsley. That means you're, po- you know, Polish origin or Hungarian. So I use parsley. What's that? Celery. celery. Germans tend to use more celery. I do potato. Those are the classic, classic European vegetables, right? Yeah, right. So potato and salt water. Is- like, low key, like <laughs> parsley <laughs> is. I, I'm with you. Parsley is a garnish, parsley <laughs> isn't a food. So, why do we wash? The answer is it's actually not just some, you know, we do all sorts of funny things on Passover and you do this and you have kiddish four times and we're going to lean and eat some more matzah. And and it's just, it, it gets lost as part of the Passover ritual. It's actually not a Passover ritual. It has nothing to do with Passover. It's Passover ritual in that you took a potato or parsley or something and you dipped it in salt water. The law is any food, any food that's Dipped in any kind of, in most liquids, it's dipped in most liquids, you have to wash. So, like Little known halacha, it's an, an abused halacha. People are not aware of this, it's a real, and it's not like, oh, it's in a different section. It's literally, if for those who are keeping score at home, simen kuf nun this is the code of Jewish law, the section that deals with washing your hands for bread, it's just paragraph four, subparagraph four, deals with food items, tibulo bimashka is what it's called, that are dipped in any kind of liquid, you also need to wash your hands. The tradition, but not an exclusive opinion, is we don't make a bracha on it, which is why, if you remember at Karpas, everyone says, we wash our hands and we don't make a bracha. It happens to me, that's not all opinions. The Vilna Gon would tell you, you should make a bracha. Our tradition is we don't, and that's why we don't at the Passover Seder. If you forgot and you did make a bracha at the Passover Seder, it's fine. You followed, the Vilna go, no problem. Our tradition is you don't make the bracha, for whatever reasons. It's too technical. But the halacha is anytime you have any food that's dipped in any liquid, you should wash. It's a thing. That's okay, food. Yad Shachat Dam, if you want to know, there's an acronym. It's basically, what's that? That's one of the biggest ones. I always, I people think I'm nuts. If I have an Oreo cookie, I have to have it with milk. I must have it with milk. I asked the rabbi, Do I need to wash my hands? He's like, Why not? Of course. Well, the answer is you do. Because yeah. obviously, if it's a peanut, you wash your hands anyway. You probably should. I'll That's give. Probably should. It probably is. It's probably good enough. You probably should wash. I'll give you another one. I don't know. That's a very good question. Why do people don't do it for chips and salsa? I gotta ask that. And I really get it in there, like in the <laughs> you probably should wash on that. If you eat it separately, make a bracha on one, make a bracha on the other, and then. It no. It, it has something It's totally independent. It's independent of the bracha. I'll tell you another one. This is probably the most practical. The most practical one. You want to know a real practical one? Again, it. This is again. I'm. You guys are on the inside. Most. Most. I'm. I'm sad to say. I don't want to say this. Most even observant Jews do not follow this halacha regrettably, and they sh- you really should. It's. It's. Again, it, it's unusual. If you feel like I've never heard of this, it's for. It's sadly not followed. It should be, and so we're gonna make a change. You know what a good example is? You wash an apple. Now, if you dry it, you don't need to wash it. If it's dried when you eat it, you don't need to wash it. But if it's still wet, you really should. Now, a couple things like let's say you have chicken and there's gravy. That's not a problem. But I think a good question, chicken like a real dip and like a, a dip. You're usually going to have that in a meal. Or I often will but You probably I think you probably ought to cookies and milk. That's like a, a real thing. I, yeah, <laughs> no one does. But this it's honey, yes, honey. yeah, yep, it actually does. The Talmud talks about the different di- liquids, but it does. Is this again? There is a very, very small minority opinion that says you don't have to do it, it's only for bread. And I'll be people tend to be lenient, people tend to be lenient and not follow it. So if you forget, yes, if you see people not washing for this type of stuff, there is a minority opinion. And that's a pe- why white people don't. If you're asking me, if you're asking me, should you? I would say unequivocally, the answer is yes. If you don't, okay, I get it. I'm not judging anyone. There is a minority, I want to be very clear. There is a minority opinion that's brought in the halakha that says you don't need to. But if someone is asking me, Rabbi, should I wash my hands for a wet apple? I would tell you, yes, that's what I, how about this? I'll, let me rephrase that. I will, you could do what you want. I will. <laughs> when I have a cookie Oreo cookie will I wash? I will. Yep. It happens the read okay so what's the why for this? It really kicks in exactly for the Tumantahara. is that any food once it gets liquefied, it then creates a potential for Tumantahara issues. How about this? A good way of saying is, please God tomorrow if the base of English is rebuilt, this will absolutely be a real requirement. It absolutely will be. you know you're gonna have a real problem. You have potential tumantahara issues. Okay, we only have four minutes left. Let's see what we can do. Um, Let's talk about how you wash. Here's how you should wash. You should fill, use a cup that's at least, let's call it four ounces as a minimum, and you should pour four ounces on each hand, okay? So that's not a lot of water. That's a very minimal amount. So if you only have a teeny cup, fill it up twice. But it shouldn't be small, anything smaller than four ounces is probably not good enough, even if you do it multiple times. Do you need to wash your hands twice? You always see everyone do it. One, two, or some people do one, two, three. The answer is if you here's what you should do. Let's talk about what you should do. Let's always talk about what you should do. And weird situations, deliver not deal. You should have a big cup of, of water, a big cup that holds eight ounces, 12 ounces, a big washing cup. If you do that and you pour half of it on one hand, half of it on the other, right hand first, left-hand second. You don't need to do the two-handed thing, the the pour twice. The reason why people do the pouring twice thing, it's a good idea. I do the the doing twice thing. That really comes from a scenario which we're not going to talk about now. That's if you have exactly four ounces. So then what do you do? It's a disastrously complicated set of halacha. Thank God that should never come up. You have a sink, you have a water fountain, don't worry about it in theory, if you were living in a place where there's no running water and you only had four ounces, you had a really, really, it's called mitsum, a very small amount of water, then you would have to wash your hands by pouring twice. And there's a couple other things you would need to do, which we're not going to go through now because it's not practical. But because that scenario does exist, the tradition is you people pour it twice, but you don't need to. In theory, if you just did it once and you have a nice amount of water, that's fine. People do it as kind of a remembrance. There is a scenario when you do the, the, the thing twice. Okay, everyone got that. Don't need to. That's really. I I I heard someone said Spartan too. Again, it's totally. It's totally unnecessary. Oh. It's totally it, if if that is, it's totally even for the If they do that, that's not the, the halakha. It's we do all sorts of fun things, which is fine, but the requirement is to get at least four ounces on each hand, and that's it. That's what the, the base sales is. Machabra will tell the Sephardic will tell you. you want to do other things, that's fine, but that's not really the requirement. Even two is not really required. Pour one, a lot of times I like I just do that. That's fine. You should dry your hands. You should dry your hands. You should not eat your food with wet hands. It's not It's not considered, uh, like it's considered bad etiquette in halacha. Your hands should be dry. We make the bracha al-natila siadayim. You should make that, you should recite that prayer before you dry your hands. If you already dried your hands and you forgot, oh my gosh, I didn't say the prayer, you can still say it until you've eaten the bread. Talking. Okay? Here's, we're going to put an end to also to a practice. It's It's really, really, very incorrect. A lot of people, what they'll do is you're talking to you, you're right, you are you just did kiddish Friday night, and now you walked into the, the the kitchen, everyone is washing, going to wash their hands, and everyone is talking about whatever they're talking about, and they have the whole clunky line, right? Everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're waiting to wash your hands, and then it's now your turn, and you start washing, but you're still talking about whatever it is you're talking. Once you start pouring water over your hands, you should stop talking. It's really considered an interruption because the mitzvah has really started. The mitzvah is not drying the hands. The mitzvah is washing the hands. The drying is considered a part of the mitzvah because you're not supposed to have wet hands. It's considered you know bad manners. But the mitzvah really starts with washing your hands. So the moment you wash your hands, you should really stop talking until you've dried your hands. What happens? Okay, and you said the bracha, and now you spoke after that. So I don't know, I remember growing up as a kid, like basically the, there were like the biggest sins that a person could commit was like adultery, idolatry, murder, and talking after washing your hands and eating bread, right? That was like like the, it's, it's really, now it is the appropriate thing. You shouldn't talk from washing your hands till you eat the bread. It's not that critical of Allah. How about this? Some people are of the opinion, have, have you ever heard of the practice, if you started talking, you should wash again don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. If you want to do that, it's fine. Definitely don't make a second bracha. Absolutely don't make a second bracha. It's a nice idea, because you really should. The idea is you want the washing of our hands to be immediately before you eat the bread. But it's not like this, you know, God came down at Sinai, you know, it's told Moses at Sinai, Moses came down with the Ten Commandments and said, thou shalt not talk. It's not, again, it's a halacha, but it's not, not that uh, critical. Um, the water, again, simplest thing. You use your water from your sink, it's fine. Can you use other liquids? If it's discolored, it's no good. If they'll say you're in a river or something like that. If it's muddy, that's fine. That's considered natural. If the water has been used for a malacha for some kind of constructive purpose, you've washed the dishes. So don't reuse the water. Again, this thing shouldn't come up. A very classical, th- classic thing is I've got things on my fingers. A you don't want there to be any interference between your hands and the water. So take off your rings is the practice. You may have heard, no, but I always leave my rings on. You ever heard this thing about what if if I need my dough in the rings? Have you ever heard that? Okay. If you literally, literally never, ever, ever, ever take your rings off ever since 1947. This ring has been on my finger. So that's one thing. But if you what's that? Yes. Yikes, right? And you probably have circulatory <laughs> issues, right? But you should take your rings off. Take a ring off. Band-aid. Band-aid should come off. So whenever I, I always get paper cuts, like I'm the king of paper cuts. I hate them. They're the most annoying thing in the world. You should take the, the, it's a little annoying. Take the band-aid off and then put it back on. Anyways, you don't want to wash over it. It's going to get gross. You should take the band-aid off. Nail polish is fine. If you have a lot of paint from like a project or, schmutz or something like that, you should wash, you should, uh, that's okay, you should wash to your wrist. The water should go to your wrist, like uh, minimum over here, that's what we'll do on Yom Kippur for certain situations, but really to get to your wrist. There are a million other, the water has to be potable, has to be drinkable, so if you're at the ocean, you can't use the ocean water. Okay, you can't because you, you can't drink. Okay, now, okay, <laughs> class is over. I don't want to confuse anyone. Technical thing as an aside, natila Okay, so I don't want to. Give, all right, class over. Thank you all for coming. All right, as an aside, there is something called tevilas yadayim. Yeah. In theory, you can instead of if you didn't want to wash your hands with a cup, in theory, if you put your hands into a mikvah, that would be good enough. And you would actually make a different bracha. You're not going to find it in the art scroll sitter. It's the bracha is al tefilat yadayim. Now, this will never come up. The only scenario this will come up, because just use a cup and just wash your hands (laughs) and stop being complicated. But the only scenario that I can envision is if you're at a beach and you have a sandwich and you're really hungry and you don't have a cup. So then, oh, no, I'm sorry. You're at a beach, I'm sorry. You're at a beach, you have a sandwich and you do have a cup there's no other water you can't fill up that water with the the ocean water it's unpotable but so there you could do is stick your hands in the ocean the ocean is a mikvah sure, like Michigan is Lake Michigan salty no no so Lake Michigan so then so then you could just use the water from like, Michigan. You could, you, know, you could use it in a cup. But if you didn't have, if you had it, you, you could not use the water from a cup in the ocean. Okay, this should never come up. This is like a ridiculous situation. If it comes up, if it comes up, it give me a call. What places can work as a mikvah? That's fine. There, one last thing, important. The cup should not have any cracks or holes in it. If the cup has any cracks or holes in it, you need it, time for a new washing cup. There's actually, for some reason, I've been cursed the last little bit. Last couple of washing cups that I've had have all cracked and gotten little holes. And even if it has a teeny hole on the bottom, you can't use it. So we used this Lucite one, and then we had a uh, not like porcelain, I don't know what it was made out of. So we just recently got a meta one and that's been good. But if you have a cup, can you use a disposable cup? The answer is yes. Some people say, no, I'm telling you the answer is yes. You're fine using a disposable cup. The hour is late. So why don't we call it here? There are a million other things with, with washing of, of the hands but they're usually what happens when things go wrong. Let's keep it right down the fairway. If you just do straight up Ntila dime, it's pretty straightforward and that's the story. All right, thoughts, questions, what do you say? Very good. All right. Thank you all for coming. You've been listening to the Jewish Living Podcast with Rabbi Nahum Math. Please do us a favor and like and share this podcast, ask a question, or leave a comment.